0: If you could have any gift you wanted for Christmas, what would you ask for? It's not an easy question to answer if you start to think about it. Some of us might ask for things like a new car, a new house, maybe a nice blouse or a necklace or a train set, a new bike, a new computer. Some of us might ask for good health Maybe you've been struggling all year with various physical ailments and all you want for Christmas is to feel better. Perhaps a loved one is suffering from a serious illness and your Christmas wish would be for them to get better. Or you might ask for better relationships. Christmas has a way of bringing all the relational fractures out into the open, doesn't it? Perhaps you're estranged from friends or family. Maybe you've said or done things you regret and you'd like to heal the broken relationships if possible. Some of us would like to have our questions answered. I know lots of people whose deepest desire is to have the question uh, answered to uh, the one simple question they're asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Many people are seeking guidance and would be perfectly happy this Christmas if God would answer that one question for them. Or your questions might be more basic. Lord, why did this happen? Why me? Why now? Why this? In our text this morning, John the Baptist had a question that goes right to the heart of Christmas. The New Testament Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11, the first 6 verses sets the scene. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, "Are you the one Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. While he was in prison, John sent his disciples to Jesus with this penetrating question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Amazing as it may seem, John the Baptist had his doubts. The older commentators struggled with this text because they could not reconcile John's doubts with his previous confession of faith. After all, he was the one who called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he baptized Jesus... John saw the dove signifying the Holy Spirit descending from heaven to rest on Jesus. And he heard the voice of God say, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. How could a man who knew so much somehow begin to doubt the truth? There are two reasons. First, consider his circumstances. John is in prison. Put there by King Herod, a wicked, corrupt, immoral man. And although John does not know it, soon he will be beheaded. And certainly he had no hope of ever being released. Prison does strange things, strange things to people. If you talk to someone who's been in prison, they call it the worst place in the world. It sucks the life and hope out of even the best of people. And though he was a good and strong man, John was not immune to bouts of discouragement and depression. We can only guess that he was under a great deal of stress. Second, consider his outlook. John had burst on the scene like a meteor striking across the sky. Out of nowhere, or so it seemed, he had galvanized the nation with his strange apparel, his, his harsh appearance, and his call for radical repentance. He preached that the corrupt rulers of the nation must get right with God. He spoke of laying the ax at the root of the tree and of a baptism of fire. John believed that the Messiah whose coming he announced would turn the world upside down. But that's not what happened when Jesus began his ministry. And so John grew impatient. He expected the Messiah to publicly challenge the corrupt leadership in Jerusalem and ultimately break the Roman hold on Israel. Neither of these two things seemed to be happening, or at least they weren't happening fast enough for John. So in prison, suffering in Gloomy hopeless circumstances. He begins to wonder was I wrong about Jesus? What if he's not the one we've been expecting? His questions have a very modern ring to them Change it slightly and it looks like this is Christ really if Christ really has been born. Why is this world so messed up? Why aren't things better by now? He came to save the world. Why is the world largely unsaved? 2,000 years have come and gone, why aren't things better? You see, even in our time, just about any day of the week, we can read the headlines and find evidence of evil and suffering and tragedy. Riots, looting, police officers being shot, What sort of world do we live in where there are crimes that are hideous beyond belief? What does it say about humanity? Why are these things happening? John's question is honest. He's basically saying things haven't worked out as I expected. Maybe I was wrong. He's struggling with one of the oldest philosophical questions known to humankind, the problem of evil. Why is there evil in the world? Why does God allow it? Why are there suicide bombers who blow up people? Why is there corruption in the halls of government and no one seems to do anything about it? If God truly has the power, why doesn't he stop it? If he doesn't have the power, then how can he be God? Some time ago, a man named Anthony Flew made headlines by proclaiming that he was no longer an atheist. After decades of being recognized as one of the world's leading philosophical atheists, the 81-year-old began calling himself a deist. He doesn't believe in a personal God, but he does believe in what we call the intelligent design. He changed because he concluded that time and chance could not have produced the universe as we know it. And some of us wonder, why doesn't he take that next step and believe in the personal God of the Bible? See, for a lot of people, the problem of evil is a major stumbling block. Evil is a problem for all of us because evil is not only loose in the world, even, evil often seems to rule the world. Where is God in the midst of all the pain, the sickness, the sin, the suffering? It's a fair question and one that most devout believers wonder about. And that's what's happening here in John's heart. Though he knows intellectually who Jesus is, the realities of his situation and his own misplaced expectations have caused him to doubt what he otherwise knows to be true. So with that as a background, I invite you to consider these three facts about doubt. One, all of us doubt sooner or later. Two, doubt by itself is not a sin. And three, doubt is less often caused by intellectual issues and more often fueled by disappointment caused by wrong expectations. One writer calls doubt the ants in the pants of faith. Doubt can be a stimulus to great spiritual growth. And if we never doubt at all, which I tend to think is highly unlikely, how will our faith ever be put to the test? And if, we, and if it's never tested, how do we know that it's genuine? John's problem is the same as our problem today. God doesn't always do what we think he should do. God routinely does things we wouldn't do if we were God, and he seems to neglect the things that we would do if we were in his place. John had heard that Christ had been going from village to village throughout Galilee healing and teaching and pointing people to God. And that's not what John expected the Messiah to do. He wanted the Messiah to overthrow the worldly government, upset the political apple cart, usher in the kingdom. That wasn't happening, or at least it wasn't happening very fast. Meanwhile, John is stuck in prison. What if Jesus wasn't the Messiah? What if John had somehow gotten it all wrong? What if Jesus was a true prophet from God but not the Messiah sent from heaven? That would be a huge mistake. If you trace it back to its source, John was disappointed because Jesus wasn't moving fast enough. Don't we all feel that way from time to time? In our desperation or our fear or our anger or our confusion, we may feel that God is moving too slow. Impatience leads to doubt and sometimes even to despair. How prone we all are to allow our own distress to taint our view of God. In times of trouble or discouragement or weakness, we may begin to think that God isn't there or God doesn't care or has somehow forgotten about us. We may even conclude that he has turned against us. Hard times make us doubt what once was clear to us. And when we're not used uh, to it, we think that God is doing nothing at all. And when those times come and come to all of us they do sooner or later we may recall we must recall that God's ways and our ways are two very different ways. He is not bound by our expectations. You know each week our staff here at Redeemer reads all the prayer concerns that have come in and we pray over them. And every week I am amazed at the level of pain and suffering in some people's lives. We all seem to know someone who's going through a serious illness or dealing with a recent death or enduring heartache from a child who has gotten caught up in drugs or alcohol or is ruining their life. We know people who have so much to offer this world who had dreams that were not fulfilled for whom we've prayed. And we say, why them? Why now? And even though we know those questions will not be answered this side of heaven, still our heart cries out and asks them anyway. Let's take a closer look at John the Baptist for a moment. Consider the man who doubted Jesus. He was a prophet, a good man, a godly man, a righteous man, a wise man, a courageous man, a privileged man. And yet despite his goodness and his godliness and his wisdom and his knowledge and his courage and despite the great privilege of knowing Jesus personally, he still doubted. So don't be hard on yourself if you doubt from time to time. It happens to the best and to the strongest believers. Look at how John handled his doubt. He admitted it. He sought help for it. And he turned to Christ for the answer. And John's course of action can be ours as well. Don't be afraid to admit that you have doubts and don't keep them to yourself. Share your struggles with a friend who can help you. And most of all, come to Jesus and seek his help. I am struck by Jesus' answer to John's question in verses four through six. His answer points to his own method of working Jesus starts by working in human hearts. And that's where the proof of his uh, deity can be clearly seen. If someone says, Lord, you are too slow, the answer comes, hey, I'm working at my own speed. He goes from heart to heart to heart. He touches one life and that one life touches another and then another. And though his work may seem slow, he moves with heavenly speed from one open heart to another. Now, my favorite part of this whole story is the straightforward question that John asks. Are you the one? Notice that Jesus does not answer yes or no. He doesn't put John down or make him look bad. He doesn't mention all the Old Testament prophecies regarding his birth. He doesn't say, hey, you baptized me. You ought to know the answer. Instead, Jesus challenges John to look again at the very things that caused him to doubt. Go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. In other words, look again. See, this whole passage uh, today comes down to this next sentence. If you struggle with doubt, this sentence could save your life. And here it is In your doubt is the seed of faith. In your doubt is the seed of faith. Doubt and faith are allies, they're not enemies. Go back and study what caused you to doubt and soon you will begin to believe. John's mind needed to be enlarged. His thinking must get bigger in order for his faith to get stronger. Years ago, someone wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. Someone needs to write a book called Your Jesus is Too Small. And that was John's problem. He had a narrow view of who Jesus is and why he came to earth. And that's why he doubted in the moment of personal crisis. Now, if we look at Jesus correctly, we will believe more passionately. Seen properly, stumbling blocks become stepping stones. Jesus' answer shows that what Christ does is the best answer to who he is. Changed lives are the ultimate proof of who Jesus is and what he does. The blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to new life, and the poor have the gospel preached to him, to them. That's the evidence. The passage comes to a powerful conclusion in verse 6. And it says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Some Christians may read that and wonder, who would ever be offended by Jesus? It helps to remember that Jesus said some very unusual things in his lifetime. He called himself the son of man. He claimed to be in heaven while on earth. He said he was one with the Father, and he called himself the ransom for the sins of the world. He told his followers to eat his body and to drink his blood. He called his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. He said he would dwell in them and they in him. He even promised to raise them to eternal life. See, it's no wonder people stumbled over Jesus. He did say some incredible things. What is it about Jesus and Christianity that mortifies people today? It is the exclusivity of his claims. Tell someone that you believe in Jesus, and they might smile with approval. Say that you believe that he's the Son of God, and they will probably say, Hey, that's wonderful. Tell them that you believe he was born in Bethlehem and everybody's going to agree. But say that you are born again and you're, and you're not even likely to get a, a start of fight then. But try saying that Jesus is the only way to God. Tell people there is no hope of heaven outside of Jesus Christ and you will have a fight on your hands. Millions of people stumble over John 14, verse 6, because they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God. But we are blessed when we do not stumble over Jesus. Whenever we see Jesus clearly, we will believe more passionately. The way past our doubts is to get a better glimpse of our Savior. Rest our eyes on him and all will be well. There's an older chorus that's in our hymnal that you likely know. I remember learning as as a kid, and I still like it. It's called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. John Wesley said to the early Methodists, Our people die well. Dying well was a major topic of concern for the Puritans. They wrote books and preached sermons to teach Christians how to die with their faith strong to the very end. In my 40 plus years of ministry, I've officiated at a lot of funerals. Some of those have been people who have died well. They've had the the assurance of heaven and by God's grace and according to his promise, we will see them again. How do we know that? This is, is this just wishful thinking? Is there a basis in fact beyond the sadness we feel when a loved one dies? And the answer is we know this because we know Jesus Christ and he is the rock of our salvation Our loved ones are not in heaven because of anything they said or did, and not even because of their faith in Christ. They are in heaven because of Jesus Christ. He makes all the difference between spending eternity with God or without him. What did John call Jesus? He called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When God looks at me all by myself, all he sees is my sin. And what I call righteousness, he calls filthy rags. I have nothing in myself that will pass for righteousness in God's eyes. But when I place my trust in Jesus Christ, the great lamb of God, then when God looks at me, he sees the lamb over me and declares me righteous in his eyes. How does all that happen? It happens by faith. Not by works, not by keeping the law, not by anything that I could ever do, but simply and only by faith in the crucified Lamb of God. All that I wanted, I could never have. I find when I come to Jesus Christ, all that I wanted, I couldn't and could never achieve is provided for me by faith in the son of God. What I lacked, Jesus provided. What I wanted most, he supplied. What I needed, he freely gave to me. See, Jesus is our hope of heaven and forgiveness and hope of eternal life with God is available to anyone, any one of us who will reach out and trust Christ as savior and Lord. John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? He asked the right question. He asked the right person. And he got the right answer. William Dix was a successful insurance salesman in Glasgow, Scotland, born 1837. He was stricken with a sudden, serious illness in his late 20s, confined to bed for an extended period of time. He suffered deep depression until he called out to God and met God in a new and in a real way. And out of that personal experience of suffering came many songs and hymns, including a beloved Christmas carol written in 1865 that asked the question... Uh, Ask a question the awestruck shepherds must have also asked on the night Jesus was born. And here is the answer to John the Baptist's question What child is this who, laid to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the king, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. God grant us faith to rejoice in Christ and to believe in him during this Advent season. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you tell us the end from the beginning and that your word is clear for all who have eyes to see and a heart that believes in you for the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Thank you for the prophetic writings of the Old Testament prophets who point to Christ and record history before it happens. Thank you also for the New Testament apostles and prophets who have opened up our understanding of past events in Israel's history and shown us and shown how everything points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So give us today an understanding heart and a desire to seek the truth of your word for your praise and glory. Keep us steadfast, Lord, in our daily work, our daily witness, our daily service. Help us see how we are connected to the wide sweep of your healing and helping ministry in this world. And draw near to those in need of you this day. That they they might be given new eyes to see and hearts to love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.